When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you, we introduce you to the characters, and we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. This episode's conversation is about the novel, The Loved One, by Evelyn Waugh. And I'm joined by our Novel Conversations readers, Elizabeth Flood and Katie Smith. Elizabeth, Katie, welcome. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Glad to be here. Glad to have you both here with me. Before we start our conversation, I want to give a quick introduction to our novel. Published in 1948, Evelyn Waugh's The Loved One is a pitiless satire on the shallowness and pretensions of British expatriates and Americans in post-World War II Los Angeles. Set in 1940s Hollywood, Waugh portrays the citizens of Los Angeles as part of a culture that fosters and encourages the selfish pursuit of petty goals. Almost everyone is striving to gain or maintain a place in society that they seem to believe is important because other people might envy them for it. The Loved One is a mordant satire on British expatriates, the pomp and pretense of the Hollywood film industry, and the cruel commercialism of the American funerary business. Elizabeth, I said that the story is about British expatriates living in Los Angeles and working in Hollywood after World War II or its aftermath. We quickly meet three of them. Let's start with a principal character, Dennis Barlow. A young English poet named Dennis Barlow, who is a screenwriter who just has uh, left his job at Megalopolitan Studios, which he hates for its bureaucracy and lack of imagination. He takes a job at a pet cemetery, scandalizing his fellow Englishmen in Hollywood. Did he leave his job? Well, he lost his contract with the studio, so he was fired. And Katie, Dennis Barlow has a roommate. He does. Francis Hinsley. He is a publicist at the same studio where Barlow worked. And we soon learn things aren't going very well for him at the studio either. Uh, not right now, no. He has been tasked with rebranding the screen idol Juanita del Pablo from a Spanish actress to an Irish actress. And the job proves too difficult for Hinsley. Right, he has to take a well-known Spanish movie star and make her over into an Irish lass. New look, new accent, and they're trying on new names. And then we meet our third expat, Ambrose Abercrombie. He's come to their house. British thespian Sir Ambrose Abercrombie visits the house of Barlow and Francis Hinsley. As with Sir Ambrose, they call Hinsley Sir Francis, Sir Francis Hinsley. He has heard Barlow has taken a position at Happier Hunting Grounds, a cemetery and funeral parlor for deceased pets. Abercrombie expresses his dismay, declaring such a job reflects poorly on the British community back home. And he believes that the expatriate British have a reputation and an image to uphold in America. Okay, Katie, Elizabeth, with that introduction to our three expats, let's take a break here. And when we come back, we'll get into our story. Thank you. 
My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Right, welcome back. All right, guys, when we left, we had introduced three of our main characters, the expats, Dennis Barlow, a former screenwriter, and now what? A pet cemetery salesman. Right, that's right. And we also met Sir Francis Hinsley, a movie publicist, and then Sir Ambrose Abercrombie, Hollywood actor and keeper of the expat ethos. And Katie, because he lost his job, Dennis Barlow is now living at someone else's house. Yes, Francis Hinsley's house. He is a publicist at the same studio where Barlow worked. And Sir Ambrose has come to the house to complain about how these two men are now embarrassing the British community, the expats. He doesn't quite say it, but he knows Barlow is working at a pet cemetery. And we quickly get a description of Barlow at his job. Dennis gets a call from Miss Henkel soliciting his services for her dead dog named Arthur. Dennis arrives at Miss Hinkle's place, negotiates the funeral arrangements, and stores Arthur's corpse back at happier hunting grounds. But Elizabeth negotiates the funeral arrangements. That's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? He sells her every service the cemetery offers. And Mrs. Hinkle is an easy customer. She's willing to buy whatever she can for her deceased dog. They even get a white dove liberated over the crematorium. (laughs) That's right. right. Fancy casket, fancy burial, and fancy dove. For every anniversary, they get a card of remembrance that says, your little Arthur is thinking of you in heaven today and wagging his tail. (laughs) Quite a service. Uh, And while not all Dennis's jobs go this well, he's enjoying the work. It gives him time to work on his poetry. But his social reputation among the Brits was ruined. And things aren't going very well for Sir Francis Hensley at the moment, are they? First, the studio forces him to leave the premises and work from home. When his secretary stops showing up for work, Hensley confronts the studio brass. And he learns his contract has been terminated and that a younger publicist has replaced him. And they didn't even bother to tell him. (laughs) He walked into his office and found a new guy at the desk. Who had gotten rid of all of his belongings. And not even put him in a box, just essentially threw him in the garbage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And guys, one page later, literally one page later in our book... We find out that Hensley is dead. He committed suicide. He was found by Barlow. Well, how do we learn this? Sir Ambrose is talking. Oh, gossiping. Talking to the other Brits at the cricket club. He complains about Barlow and says he suggested Barlow go back to England. But... But then he tells everyone he asked Barlow to make all the arrangements for Hensley's funeral, or at least the burial. And soon we are with Barlow as he visits Whispering Glades, the preeminent human cemetery in town. And he meets a mortuary hostess. And this scene, in a much larger way, is reminiscent of how Dennis sold Mrs. Hinkle all the services for her dog. Right. Emphasis on much larger way. There are different rooms with different themes— There are different gardens or parks, as they call them, burial or cremation available. And we haven't even mentioned the chapels for various denominations or the caskets. It's all over the top. Yes. This is an example of Waugh's commentary on the cruel commercialism of the American funerary business. 
I think you call it. It's decided that Hinsley should be buried in their poet's corner, as at Westminster Abbey. And Barlow is concerned about the physical appearance of his friend. Uh, He says, I've seen him. He's terribly disfigured, you know. He wants to make sure that he looks presentable. And the hostess assures him their cosmeticians can do amazing work. And Barlow finally picks the casket, the reception room with its theme and color, the burial grounds, and I think even the clothes. Only one thing is left now. The deposit. $500. Well, $500. It is 1948. That would have been about $6,000 nowadays. But with the arrangements for Sir Francis made, the selling continues. The hostess tries to sell him a pre-death funeral burial plan. Barlow recognizes a script when one is read to him. He's had similar scripts at the happier hunting grounds. Right, probably. And then he meets her, his Eve. The junior cosmetician, uh, he is immediately intrigued. He finds her fascinating and becomes instantly infatuated with her. In his mind, he calls her his redemption after a year of exile from his social circle. And as you said, she's the junior cosmetician. She takes care of the nails and the hair and the skin of the loved ones at the cemetery. Yes, they make sure to call the deceased loved ones at this, at Whispering Glades. And she also takes personal data for the the real hands of the operation. Mr. Joy Boy, the chief mortician and cosmetician at Whispering Glades, and all of the young ladies who work there seem to greatly admire him, both his skill and his coolness. We continue to learn more about Sir Hinsley. We learn that he hanged himself with his suspenders and his face was hideously disfigured. Do we learn her name, by the way? I mean, does Barlow learn her name? She tells him to come back in two days and to ask for the cosmetician of the orchid room. Right, each room apparently has their own cosmeticians assigned to it. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, Sir Ambrose is marshalling the forces of the British. Sir Ambrose and the other prominent Englishmen composed the Order of the Service. Right, they're going to be in charge of how this funeral goes down. Who gets to sit in front, who has to sit at the back, who gets to wear ribbons. I think he's even tried to invite the British ambassador to the United States. But that doesn't happen. And again, they've given Barlow tasks, even as they shun and disparage him. One of the tasks is to write a poem for Sir Ambrose to recite before the burial. And he's to find something suitable in the works, the great English works, something suitable for Sir Ambrose to read. And then there's the invitation list. Right. They can't decide whether they want to go small or do they want to really show the flag and have everybody come? But anyway, back to Whispering Glades, we have the scenes with Mr. Joy Boy and the young junior cosmetician. So we learn her name is Amy Thanatogonus. Amy, meaning loved one in French, and Thanatogonus, meaning born of death from Greek. Evelyn knows how to pick his names, doesn't he? Mm. And she considers Mr. Joy Boy the perfection of high professional manners, a stylish and cultivated man. He's apparently highly acclaimed in the industry, and we soon learn a lot more about Miss Amy Thanatogonus. Barlow meets her while working on his poem for the funeral on a romantic island, which is part of the cemetery in Whispering Glades, and she basically tells him her life story. She tells us about her childhood, her family, her college years, and then how she got into her occupation. She started as a hairdresser, and she had this one woman who came to her every week to set her hair. And then when this woman passed away, her family called Amy and said, no one knows how to do her hair like you did. Could you come and set her hair for her viewing? And that's how she gets hooked up with the mortuary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
At first, she says she liked the job just because she was doing hair for people that didn't talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She eventually really started to love the job because she felt she was doing meaningful work and she was basically doing art and finding a way to bring people's loved ones um, back to a, a good appearance for their funeral, the way that they looked before they died. But Katie, the more we learn about her, the more we learn about her. (laughs) It turns out she's a thoroughgoing product of Los Angeles, empty-headed, yet yearns for higher things. Although she can't say what that really means to her. While she continues to express her admiration for Mr. Joyboy, Dennis becomes enamored of her. And they date. And so six, eight weeks go on, and now torn between her affection for Dennis and for Mr. Joyboy, she does what any woman of her age would do. She reaches out to the local Dear Abby, who is called Guru Brahman, and asks him what to do. And while waiting for a reply from the guru... Dennis continues wooing Amy by sending her plagiarized poetry from deceased English poets, the origins of which remain unbeknownst to her. And Amy is further bemused when Joy Boy informs her that she has been chosen to be groomed to be the first female embalmer at Whispering Glades. And in today's language, I guess grooming uh, would be the right word. And Joy Boy quickly asks her to meet his mother for dinner. But the same day that Amy meets Joy Boy's mother for dinner, she also attends a daytime date with Dennis, in which she reveals that she has that she's going to get this promotion. And because of her potential raised earnings, Dennis proposes marriage. Once Amy realizes that this marriage proposal is only due to her new financial status, she becomes irate and storms out. Right. For Dennis, it's all about the money. Now he feels the two of them together will have enough money to get married. But to make matters worse for Amy, her previously held romantic feelings for Mr. Joy Boy also start to diminish when she meets his overbearing mother. Oh, yes. So Mrs. Joy Boy, when they enter the house, is in the living room listening to the radio and immediately shushes them. She has her parrot next to her. She has small, angry eyes and frizzy hair, <laughs> a shapeless body, and she is uh, not very nice. Not very nice. <laughs> right, Elizabeth, she doesn't treat uh, Amy very nicely, does she? Oh, no, not at all welcoming. As soon as they walk in the door, the radio's blasting, and she tells them to sit down quietly until the radio program is over. But Joy Boy explains to Amy, hey, you know, she's just treating you like one of us. She's not making any pretensions for a guest. This is how she treats all of us. This is how she treats everyone. Right, you should feel... Good about that. (laughs) (laughs) He really is kind of a a mama's boy, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And again, torn, Amy asks for more advice from Guru Brahman. It turns out Guru Brahman was actually three separate people. A secretary, a columnist, and an alcoholic advice writer named Mr. Slump. After a little consideration, Mr. Slump tells Amy that she should absolutely choose Joy Boy over Dennis. All right, but before we find out who Amy actually does choose, let's take a break here, and when we come back, we'll finish our conversation about the novel, The Loved One. We'll be right back. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So Five Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Welcome back. Okay, Elizabeth, Katie, when we left Amy, she was deciding between Dennis Barlow and her mentor, Mr. Joy Boy, the choice of her dear Abby, the guru Brahmin. Katie, what does Amy decide? It seems as though she's decided on Barlow, partly because of the love poems that he filches from famous writers and leads her to believe that he wrote himself. Amy informs guru Brahmin and Joy Boy that she decided to marry Dennis after all. But Mr. Joy Boy has an ace up his sleeve. He has read one of the poems that Barlow sent to Amy, which he claimed to be his own writing. And Amy wouldn't know it, but once Mr. Joy Boy reads it, he knows it's a fraud. He knows that Barlow didn't write this, and he exposes Dennis to Amy. And to complicate matters, Joy Boy also visits Happier Hunting Grounds to arrange the funeral for his mother's dead parrot. Oh no, his mommy's beloved dead parrot. (laughs) And while he's there, Joy Boy discovers Dennis is the employee. Knowing that this information will devastate Amy, Joy Boy invites her to attend the funeral of the parrot. The employees of Whispering Glades consider the happier hunting ground to be a very degraded establishment. In fact, they make jokes about it all the time. And once she learns of Dennis's deceit, Amy ends their engagement and quickly becomes publicly engaged to Mr. Joy Boy. And Dennis tries to win Amy back, but to no avail. Then he reminds her that she made a promise to marry him, from which he refuses to release her. Now, real quick, I was a little confused by this, because nowadays anyone can just break off an engagement. Was it different back in the 40s? I mean, I think he just points out, you promised me. Okay. Well, she's young, she's a a naive, maybe a little immature She may just think, well, I guess I did promise, and I guess I I can't take it back. Uh, I see. I don't think he threatened to make it public or anything like that, because this is not Mm -hmm. a public engagement. It's not been in the papers, right? Right, it hasn't been. Yeah, they say that it hasn't been announced yet. Amy is distraught and conflicted. She calls Mr. Joy Boy and begs him to come over to her apartment because she needs to talk things through, but he refuses, saying that he is too busy helping his mother with her new parrot. So then Amy seeks advice from Mr. Slump, who she learns has been fired. Still, he drunkenly berates Amy and actually suggests she jump out a window. And at work the next day, she injects herself with embalming fluid and dies in Mr. Joy Boy's room. Right, we learn about this death just as quickly as we learned about Sir Francis Hindley's death within one page of the previous uh, scene. And Joy Boy finds Amy's corpse, and afraid that the scandal of his fiancé's suicide will ruin him professionally, he takes her to happier hunting grounds for Dennis to help. And Dennis ensures Joy Boy that he will take care of it all. Dennis enlists Mr. Joy Boy to help him cart Amy's body to the pet cemetery for the secret cremation. Meanwhile, Dennis is approached by Sir Ambrose, who is so appalled that Dennis continues to work at the pet cemetery that he pays him to go back to England rather than stay and besmirch the British community. And so, Barlow's plan is that everyone will think that Amy ran away with him and that they both moved back to England. 
Dennis extracts money from Mr. Joy Boy for the financing of this plan, adding it to the payoff from Sir Ambrose. And our novel ends with everyone in town thinking Dennis and Amy ran off to England together. And perhaps the most devastating moments of the entire novel are these last few lines. We're told this about Dennis. He sits back with a book at the pet cemetery to await the finish of Amy's cremation. You guys want to react at all? Katie, Katie facially reacted. <laughs> I, I saw her face. <laughs> Oof. All right, so now let's take a break and then head into our last segment where I'd like to ask the two of you to share a moment or a character or perhaps a quote that we haven't had a chance to get to. Right now, you're listening to Novel Conversations. I'm Frank Lavallo. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go. Welcome back. You're listening to Novel Conversations. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and today I'm having a conversation about the novel The Loved One by Evelyn Waugh, and I'm joined by our Novel Conversations readers, Elizabeth Flood and Katie Smith. All right, Elizabeth, Katie, before our break, we ended our conversation about The Loved One, and now I'd like to ask the two of you to perhaps share a moment or a character or even a quote that we haven't had a chance to get to. Elizabeth, do you have something? So we are told that Mr. Joy Boy is in charge of the facial expressions of the corpses. And for Amy, he always makes a smile on the corpses' faces before he sends them over to her to do their hair and skin and nails. But as soon as he finds out that she's engaged to Dennis, he sends all the corpses over with frowns and sad faces, morose faces. I had forgotten about that moment. That's a that's a great line. Thanks for reminding me of that one. Yeah. Katie, do you have something? One part that I appreciated a lot is uh, when Dennis and Amy first begin to talk. Dennis is out sitting in the gardens of the cemetery, and Amy comes to the same place. And that's how they start to talk. And Dennis quotes poetry just offhand. He says, half in love with easeful death. And Amy is so drawn to that. That's when she first starts to love him. She thought that was just such a beautiful line. Did, is that from a poem? And he plays it off, not saying he didn't write it, but not saying he did write it. He definitely wants her to have the impression that he wrote it. Right. And from then, that's when he realizes he can use poetry to woo her the rest of the way. Other people's poetry. A sly poet. Yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot of his own poem writing, I noticed. Right. We do get some of his lines, but they, of course, they pale in comparison to the lines he's actually stealing from the real English poets. Yes. I'd like to talk about the scene where Dennis Barlow is talking to his boss at the pet cemetery, Mr. Schultz. Dennis has been to the... Uh, whispering Glade's funeral home, and he's telling Mr. Schultz all about the, the fancy rooms and the caskets and the, and the beautiful settings. And he suggests to Mr. Schultz that perhaps they amp up their game a little bit at the pet cemetery. 
And of course, Mr. Schultz just disparages the uh, the uh, human cemetery and says, oh, they're all spend a lot of money for people that they never loved when they were alive. They just make a show of it once the person's dead. Here, we bury their pets, the pets that they've loved and that have loved them for years and years. And once the pet dies, all they care about is, ah, throw them in the garbage bag and let me spend, I don't want to spend more than $10 on this process. These are the pets they really loved and yet they're going to spend money on people that they didn't love at all. And I just thought uh, Mr. Schultz was a little bit jealous, I think, of Whispering Glades. Uh, but I think he's right. People sometimes will spend money for someone that they didn't quite care as much about as their little, little Yorkie. <laughs> Elizabeth, do you have another moment or, or something you want to share? I did want to point out how surprising it was to me that once Dennis learns of Amy's death, he doesn't seem upset at all. He is actually quite sarcastic about it and is very quick to come up with this scheme of how to get rid of her body. And really, it seems like he must have had a pretty shallow love for her if he's not in the slightest sad about her death. And that's why I found those last couple of lines so devastating and so hard. He sits back, reads a book while Amy's body is being consumed by the flames. No, I think you're absolutely right, Elizabeth. I don't think he cared for her at all. I think, I think he saw her as a way back into polite society, if, if you will. Mm. This was going to be his, uh, his partner. Yeah, I think that's the whole point of the book, you know, is that death is taken too lightly and seen as... Death of humans is taken too lightly and perhaps death of pets too much taken too much is right? made of it. Well, both of those take me to the other thing I was going to say, which was about the pet burials in general, but particularly Mrs. Joy Boy's parrots, because that's the occasion when Dennis gets to bring in everything he learned from Whispering Glades right, and right. implant it into happier hunting grounds. And I think they see uh, the casket for a parrot is is too unsettling, so he tries to prop him up just like they prop up the loved ones at the Whispering Glades. Waugh was certainly able to paint a picture that uh, compared and contrasted both uh, funerals for pets and for humans. Mm -hmm. And I think it's with that note, uh, ladies, that we'll end our conversation today about the novel, The Loved One by Evelyn Waugh. I want to thank both of you for coming in and having this conversation with me today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Always do. Thanks, Frank. Thanks so much. You're more than welcome. I'm Frank Lavallo, and you've been listening to Novel Conversations. Thanks for listening to Novel Conversations. If you're enjoying the show, please give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Novel Conversations. Follow us to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and in anything else we've got in the works. I want to give special thanks to our readers today, Elizabeth Flood and Katie Portile. Our sound designer and producer is Noah Fouts, and Grace Sienna Longfellow is our audio engineer. Our executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Joan Andrews. I'm Frank Lavallo. Thank you for listening. I hope you soon find yourself in a novel conversation all your own. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the paper nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. 
Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.